Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Smash you do remember, Monsieur, how in Titus Andronicus the Queen tomorrow was served her own children baked in a pie? <laughs> of course, in your case, we've used only the tenderest morsels. <laughs> do have some more. Hello, and welcome to Smash Pod, a podcast celebrating all the Bond films by those who enjoy, hate, or, you know, just aren't asked about them. It's a spooky side special. I hope you have a strong stomach and know where your poodles are. Yes, we're doing Theatre of Blood. We're doing a spooky Halloween special, everybody. And joining me for a short back and sides at Butch's Hair Salon is Guardian TV and film writer Ali Catrell and comedy actor Paul Putmer. Welcome. Hello. Hello, that's Ali. Hello, Paul. Hello. Yeah, so Theatre of Blood then. Yes. We start with bits of silent films to show us what we're in for, confusing stuff. Is that original footage? Yes. It is, because one yep. of them actually does look a lot like Vincent Price. Yes, but it's not. One of them, it's I think, not. is, is right. Lillian Gish, isn't it? The yeah. Othello one. She looks very much like it. Yeah, definitely in the Othello one. Paul Robeson. I think that's Robeson and Gish. I've yeah. got a feeling. Um, Which I mean, sounds like rhyming slang. I think it's... You go into a fishmonger's, oh, you got any Robeson and Gish? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I've got, yeah, I think the, it's worth pointing out the, the, the first one, the first black and white one is, is Henry VI murder by the Duke of Gloucester, who was the nascent Richard III. Oh, yeah, a bit, a bit of, you live and learn on here. Yeah. yeah, I'm glad you're here. Thank you. Yeah, the shambles, too. it was just me. Um, so yeah, we see all this silent movie stuff, and then we go to see Michael Horden, the mainstay, the British mainstay of the film industry for the 60s, 70s and 80s. He's at home, he's a reviewer. Much like you. Yes, exactly like me. So this could happen to you one day. You got you haven't got poodle. You got cats. Uh, I I don't. I cat sit though. I've been on cat I've been sit. on endless cat sit for the last uh, three months. Narrated Paddington. <laughs> no, that's on the bucket list though. You're a bit Horden and you're a bit Robert Morley because you got cats. As in, I'm both dead. Yeah. No, no, no. no. You're, you're a critic, <laughs> but you're a bit of both. So Michael so Horden. Still woken up. Yeah. Michael Horden still reviewing his uh, cri- his critique that's appeared in the paper, mm. uh, but his provocative comment has been re- removed from the review, where he said that the leading lady attacked the role with both hands and strangled it. She was really happy about. Yes, and his be... wife is sort of mental. Very strange, isn't it? Why yeah. is she so concerned and that weird close-up of her eyes when she watches him drive? Over... Because she's, well, because she's had a dream that he went to a zoo and got killed by all the animals. Because the whole thing is here is a metaphor or, or analogy or analogous of Caesar's wife having a dream. Is it really? Which, yeah, and this is this is, this cleaves this film cleaves very very closely to Shakespeare. And in Julius Caesar, you see, you know, Caesar's wife has a dream that he's going to be murdered. Brutally, and so there it is. Also, you'll notice that the newspapers date the fifteenth of March, nineteen seventy-two, which is literally the Ides of March. I was going to say, I noticed that the, 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 mm. the date is very clear there. Mm. It literally mm. zooms in and places this film exactly where it is in history. Mm. But it made me laugh. They Horton's car because he says I'm, he gets a phone call saying, "You are the." He says, "You are the uh, chairman of the Bermondsey Housing and Redevelopment Committee." There you are. Which is very odd because his flat overlooks Hammersmith Bridge. Yeah. So it's a bit of a stretch. His car's literally parked outside his house. Mm. Imagine that these days. Imagine that. I bet his house now is like an owl cafe. Well, also, it's worth pointing out now that all these critics in this film live like fucking kings. Oh, yeah. I mean, mean, they live in palatial flats, mansions, right? Well, you do. Well, well, no, I live in in a kicker's shoebox in the middle of the road. I live on the back of an ant (laughs) on a kicker's shoebox. You know, it's worth pointing out, as I say, that the reality of of, of being a critic these days is exactly diametrically opposed to what you 
see in this film. So you should go back 50 years, you'd live like a king. Oh, yeah. You could dine, literally dine out on your reviews, particularly if you're a restaurant critic. Michael Horton gets this phone call saying, look, because you're the chairman of this committee, you, you need to... Um, <laughs> sorry. You need to come and clear some squatters because that's your job as the head of this committee, obviously. It's up to you to come and get rid of homeless people. No problem, I'll come down and get rid of homeless people yeah. even though I'm currently all, enjoying all myself. All homeless people are psychopathic, mad. Shell-heck-wielding, yeah. I'm glad you said that because that's how I feel. It was, they're lunatics. They're not yeah. just homeless people. They're like something out of bedlam. They look like yeah. if you dose the entire cast of Oliver with MDMA, don't they? Yeah. yeah. So he drives down there and uh, he parks his car outside to shift the squatters and meets two policemen. 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 Yes. It's, policemen. Yeah. it's worth pointing out at this stage that Vincent Price, who is one of the policemen, yeah. spoilers, yeah. Um, in disguise, looks exactly like Vincent Price wearing a Vincent Price disguise. Yeah, what do you, and a Vincent Price mask on top of his Vincent Price disguise while waggling a placard saying, yes, no, it really is me, Vincent. It's more subtle than that. He's wearing a pretend moustache over a moustache. <laughs> <That's Yes. it. laughs> I mean, why didn't you just wear a fucking frogman outfit? It's a bit like a Jeremy Beadle. But did Beadle ever wear a fake beard over a beard? He used to put a beard over his beard. <laughs> so, Vincent, so he's in the Theatre of Blood inspired Beadle's about. Yes. This is actually an extravagant Beadle's about. You should have a bit yeah. where Michael Horton's in the corner in a little screen yeah. going, oh, oh, those homeless people really murdered me, didn't yes, they? Yes. Oh, oh. Um, so, yeah, he turns up to get rid of the squatters. And we mentioned this earlier, but I should say, off air, we mentioned this, that the League of Gentlemen do a commentary on the Blu-ray of this film. And I tuned into the commentary specifically because there's a moment where Horton comes in to shift the uh, squatters. And he's saying things like, get out, will you? Go on, get out. Come, come. Come, come, get out. And then he literally says, we'll have no trouble here. And I'm thinking, well, the League of Gentlemen are in the commentary, so I'll, I'll dip in to the commentary and see if they say, because as we said before, they're very good at saying, we got that from this. You did it beautifully. Yeah. That sort of business. Exactly. So I went in, and they didn't mention it at all. Disappointing. Very odd. Why is that, Gators? What are you hiding? What are they hiding? We have no references here. Yeah. <laughs> He's quite brave, though. Very brave. I wouldn't go in on my own. He's an umbrella. Should yeah. we talk about the tramps at this stage? They include Declan Mulholland, who uh, Star Wars watchers will know is the original Jabba. Oh. In the original cut of Jabba the Hutt, um, who's the large, fat man string. Uh, and they include uh, the dancer Tutti Lemko. Yes. Um, who was the fiddler in the film version of Fiddler on the Roof. And Ooh. also the old bloke who translates the staff of Ra for Indy in Raiders. Oh. And also, there's a. And this is a, why this film has a very sort of personal connection to me, not only because I'm also a member of the critic circle and expect to be done in any day now by mm. a fucking nutter in a Shakespeare wig, um, is that it has a cameo by a professional film extra uh, called Paul Oliver, who was a family friend of ours as I was growing up. And he's the guy who's has a newspaper for a pillow and he's brollied by Horden, saying, wake up, and he sort of looks sleepily around. Now, Paul, Paul's face is a bit like the Wilhelm scream, in as much as once you heard it once, the sound effect, once you hear it once, you hear it again and again. I mean, some of the things he's been in include the American Welfare in London. He's the guy in the porno in Piccadilly when uh, David Norton saying run run go away and he's also in Star Wars when Luke and 3PO walk in the cantina and he's on the right sitting on the table he was the only extra in that scene who required no makeup whatsoever because he just looked like that and something very sad happened this about 20 years ago um, he in the middle of the night for reasons unknown he went to the top of the World's End flats in Chelsea about sort of a minute's walk from his doorstep and, um, and I'd like to imagine he sort of gazed upon the vista of uh, the bend of the river before to put it poetically, he stepped into air. Oh, yeah! It's, it's, once you see his face, you'll see him in everything. He's in Jabberwockies. I don't know. He's the watchmaker in Little Voice. He's in everything. That's very sad. Mm. In this film, he's uh, he's the guy branching a chair leg. Yeah, at Michael Horden. So I'm glad he's uh, he's retained some of his dignity there. So Horden gets beaten to death quite viciously. Mm, beaten there's, and stabbed. And well, there's a horrible moment where he kind of is looking for a place to run away and meets this sheet of plastic. You know, for a film that's kind of setting itself up from the from the off as, as a kind of comedy horror. Mm. Although I'd argue that it's almost kind of outside of a genre. This film, it's quite weird. It's not. It's a bit ahead of its time. This film. It's quite modern sensibility. Mm. And as much as the kind of comedy horrors that were around at that stage were definitely kind of signposting every single joke and gag. Yeah. And this one, the humour is coming organically out of the situation. But that original murder is quite shocking. It it's is? It's quite shit. Okay, we're somewhere else now. Films at this time, usually, when you see someone getting like a mass beating, they just fall to the ground as a, a body. But he's covered in blood. Which is, you know, the blood in this film is not in short supply. There's Hence why it's in the title. They had some left over. There's a great BFI interview with Peter Cushing, and it would have been made, recorded about 1974. I think he'd just done Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell. And he's saying, the, the, the movies today, the films are getting too gory and too bloody now, you know. And it still is 
quite powerful. I think it acts as a sort of bridge between, uh, a bit like the film Deathline, between yeah. the old kind of dying embers of Hammer, which is obviously very theatrical and sort of campy, um, and the kind of new wave of horrors that were to come, were obviously influenced in turn by the sort of American horrors, the new wave of American horror. Texas Chainsaw. Yeah, or Texas. Last House on the Left, all this. The Only Italian stuff as well, mm. like Argento and things like that, with liquid blood coming out of people that looks like Ribena. Because the film, the films that immediately presage this in terms of price and this kind of setup are the Doctor Fives movies, yeah. which mm. are fucking insane. Yeah. I mean, I watched it last night for refresher, and they are seriously off kilter there is something seriously weird about them they always kind of hark back in a way to the kind of sort of English psychedelia of the 60s you know you sort of, there's something slightly sort of Avengers-y about them or the kind of final program that kind of sensibility about them and the first one particularly is demented but it's also quite sloppy so in a way Theatre of Blood I think is the kind of sort of logical but also very tight culmination of that sort of filmmaking so Horden's dead and then we cut to all the critics assembled having a dinner are they, gonna, are they having a dinner or a drink they're hanging out at Penthouse. Mm. Again, living like a fucking king. Yeah. yeah. Complete realism. So they're hanging out at Henry's Owned pad. by Jeffrey Archer, by the way, now. So yeah. I watched um, Theatre of Blood with my parents last week, and it's just so funny that him to go, oh, he's dead, he's dead. Mm. Oh, he was an alcoholic. Oh, whatever happened to him? Oh, he, he committed suicide, didn't he? He's dead. I was like, oh, damn, will you be quiet? <laughs> <laughs> so they're all there. So we, we should say mm. the critics involve like Arthur Lowe, Captain Mannering fame, obviously. Yes. Dennis Price. Dennis Price. 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 Yeah. Um, who's the Jack Hall? Jack Hall. Who's, who's, who's got his voice box? I, mean, I was going to say he's dubbed, yeah. isn't he? He's, he's dubbed by Charles Gray. Charles yeah. Gray dubbed a lot of his, his work. Yeah. Um, that's why he's wearing this kind of tight brown. So there's another Bond connection. Mm. Charles Gray was in Bond twice. Mm. Also right. like Madeline Smith, the yeah. secretary, who's, who's obviously Roger Moore's first chef. And obviously and Diana, Diana Rigg. Rick. Yeah. Diana Rigg. The great Carl Brown. Yeah. Married Vincent Price after the film. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, no. Well, well, she had an affair with him during the film. Oh, right. Uh, then they married after, shortly afterwards. Bisexuals too, it's very interesting marriages. Yeah, so all the critics meet up and they're basically sort of congratulating themselves on how great they are. We get this set up early on, what we would call in the modern film telling terms as a foreshadowing, that he likes his wine. God, I've forgotten his name. They all have such brilliant names, they do. They do. Sprout. Sprout. Snipe. And Harry yeah. Andrews, Dickman as well. Dickman's a Because he's, he's very lecherous around women, which is a bit of an in-joke, because Harry Andrews in real life was gay. Uh, and living with uh, Basil Hoskin. Nice. There's a touch of cat weasel about him. Isn't there like, is a like, touch of cat weasel. Sexy cat weasel. Sexy cat weasel. Imagine that. Mm. Imagine if cat weasel came from the past to shag women. Elect dickery. Or men. Uh, so they're all meeting and they're all very happy with themselves. And then word reaches them that Michael Horden's dead. And they're not that bothered, really. No, they don't seem particularly... No, I mean, today's critics wouldn't be that bothered, to be honest. And then the police, this is when we meet Milo O'Shea, isn't it? It's a terrific cast, I mean. It really is. It's it's literally every single English character actor of any note has been crammed into this film. It's incredible. But he comes, and again, no one's that bothered that one of them's been murdered. And I'm guessing Michael Horden wasn't that nice a person. Well, none of them are very nice, are they, really? Cunts. They, they are cunts, yeah. Like most critics. Mm, yeah. True. I used to do film critics, so, yeah, I'm a cunt as well. Um, so, yeah, they're all not that bothered. And then we get this really confusing scene. Now, our hands are up in the air right here, right now. I probably lost the thread of what's happening here. But Snipe, one of the critics, is suddenly walking around with, let's put the cards on the table here, Diana Rigg dressed as Jeff Lynne. Yeah. Jeff, yeah. yes. Yeah. And the hair bear And even has a Birmingham accent at one point. Yeah. All right. All over the place. That, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes and meets Lionheart, and doesn't seem that surprised he's alive. Yeah, that's a bit fucking mental as well. Considering yeah. what happens later, when everyone's like, Lionheart! And then yeah, when he takes yeah. off his mask, he's like, oh, all right, how you, how you yeah. doing? You all right, keep him well? Surely you should be more surprised that he's alive, considering what we find out later, he's witnessed him die. I like his helmet, his kind of Roman helmet, because it looks like something out of Vivian Westwood, circa 1977. It's a bit gas masky. yeah. It's and like, underneath it, he's painted it like Adamant. It's like Dead Man's Shoes meets Adamant. The bit where he's propelled through the floor, that's fantastic. It really is. I'm sure you can write to the occasion <laughs> it's very okay. it's, it's very kind of um, Freddy Cougar that stuff isn't it? it sort of anticipates those kind of one liner horrors and again you get with him you get another sort of mob murder quite yeah. vicious flesh being ripped off and yeah. beatings it's like Day of the Dead when the yeah. guy gets ripped to pieces mm. is that was sort of and his vocal cords oh <laughs> yeah it's, it's not nice yeah it's like Sam Smith <laughs> do we think Lionheart 
is is a good actor because he obviously gets work. He's able to put on these productions. But he puts on his own productions. He's a YouTuber. He's great if you come to his house and watch him do it. Yeah. Otherwise, he's shit. He's like he's like Partridge doing Bond. Yeah, yeah. That's what gossip gets me about this film. It's like, come, at, I'm a really good actor, but you have to come around and watch me do it, and I have to bore you with it. He's also yeah. kind of. I mean, when he when he talks to Shakespeare, when he when he drops his lyrics and rhymes. He's sort of mixing and matching Shakespeare like a kind of sound play. He's like a kind of one-man Shakespeare yeah. and Public Enemy. You'll go, I'll eat itself. He's like he's, he's, he's dressed as Caesar while quoting Antony. Yeah, you know that sort of stuff. And at one point he says, "Wisdom and goodness to the vile seem vile," which, which is from King Lear. It actually sounds like a Morrissey lyric to me. It does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then he he gets beyond because he's not voted as the actor of the year and he goes to the young Evan Woolard. Yeah. You think, well, why would he be even nominated anyway if he's so terrible? But the point yeah. is that, the, the, you know, the irony about this film is he's not terrible. He's fucking brilliant. He's great. I mean, only I, in Shakespeare, I, though. Only in Shakespeare. They have a valid point that if mm. you only do Shakespeare... But he is genuinely you're amazing. Not, you're not stretching yourself. I'd like no, to no, see no, him do that's that. That's true. He's born, maybe. I'd like to see him do a Confessions movie. <laughs> <laughs> Him going out and around with Timmy Lee, yeah. Vincent Price's bum going up and down in some soap suds. Yeah. <laughs> then he gets that award. Vinnie P. Oh, Vinnie P. <laughs> Him and Tony Booth in a shed shagging people. Yeah. Oh, what a film. Idea. Yeah. See, already this is a better so- film. Cycling down Borenwood High Street. <laughs> I think we've made this film better already, to be honest. I shouldn't bother. But anyway, so poor old Snipe, he sees Lionheart and then he gets murdered with a spear. Mm. Straight through, we get more Ribena coming out of him. Horrible. It's like Saw, isn't it, really? Or Seven? Yeah. A lot of this is like Saw. Yeah, it's I think like, it's Saw, but British Saw. Yes. So like one yeah. of those saws you get from Wix. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Creative ways of killing people. Yeah, like but very final, British. Final Destination. That mm. Yeah, again, very British, like Southern Rail. Yes. Yeah, you don't get there in the end. Um, so I've written down here, I reckon I would spot Lionheart in seconds because his disguises throughout are terrible. Yeah, all, he, well, all he uses is noses and moustaches when he's already got a big nose and a moustache. I like his nose. It's like he's bought them from August Bulls from the Pink Panther films. Yes, it is very much like he's bought it from Like August particularly Bulls. Richard III, he looks like Clouseau's Pink Panther Strikes Again. Yeah. yeah. And his Shylock was like a Concord was coming in from the wings. <laughs> Very I love, much I so. love his, 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 his Shylock is so fucking camp. It's the bit when he goes, um, Thou's called me dog, but if I am a dog, beware my fans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what the, my my favourite bit of this film, right, is Milo O'Shea as the policeman. Because the police in this film are fucking thick, right? <laughs> the police, every, all security details. All the way through the film. film. Are so fucking He great. says this line Who would possibly hate critics? <laughs> <laughs> By their definition, everybody they've been horrible about, mm. possibly. And then they go to the funeral of Michael Horton, and then they get to the funeral, and poor old Snipes being pulled along by horse, mm. as per the Shakespeare dialogue quoted yeah. beforehand. I love the fact that at some stage, Vincent Price has had to train a shire horse <laughs> <laughs> to run up this gravel drive and yeah. then stop yeah. exactly mm. where the party is. <laughs> I think, I mean, you, I, there's a massive suspension of disbelief in this film, I mean, particularly when he sort of breaks into, I don't know, fucking random hairdressers and sets up all his murdering equipment. <laughs> you think, well, hang on, the logistics of this, let, let's let's break this apart here, you know. Well, I've written down here, that if the murdering thing doesn't work out, logistics and party planning, he's very good. <laughs> yeah. Very good. He's really got it down, because like, to, the, to the nth detail, he's, he's covered every base. Mm, if Secret Cinema did Theatre of Blood, they could get Lionheart to do it, and it would be amazing. Um, but yeah, the, then we see, we meet Ed Wiener Lionheart, Diana Rigg, and people are supposed to go, oh, Diana Rigg's in this, even though we've, we've clearly seen her a couple yeah. of times before. Another Bond connection, obviously. Yeah, obviously. Of, strangely, of the three. When she mm. plays the seductress of Harry Andrews later on, she doesn't actually look like... Diana Rigg. No, no, she it's true. It's more like Diana Rigg when she's like Jeff Lynne. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I remember as a child thinking, well, that's the lady from later on, isn't it? Mm. So it didn't, uh, maybe it fooled people at the time, maybe it did. But Diana Rigg was amazing, though. She was very good in Game of Thrones recently, stole the whole thing. And she said the word cunt. Really? Yeah, a bit weird. But that's the modern world we live in. People say cunt all the time. Not me, though. I think, didn't she slip one in, in on Her Majesty's? Yeah, she said, oh, James, you're such a cunt. And he said, too right, I fucking am. <laughs> this never happened to the other fella, swearing. Yeah, flaming galah. Yeah, so <laughs> this is when Ian Henry starts mentioning that Lionheart only did Shakespeare, so he wasn't really stretching himself. But when we go back to Arthur Lowe's house, where he's married to Miss Marple. Yes. Joan Hickson. So Miss Marple is married to Captain Mannering. The mystery is now solved. Mrs mm. Mannering is Miss Marple. Mm. And he gets sent a massive trunk. I mean, this is absurd. It is absurd. I mean, how long have they been crunched in there? <laughs> 
farting. The problem with this film, and I, I wrote this down for later on, but the problem with this film is that all the critics of this are more fucking stupid than anybody else. It's like, would you like to go to a basement in London to a wine tasting of someone you know about? Yes, of course. I mean, someone wants to murder me. Yeah, I'll go there. Would you like to accept delivery of this huge trunk? Of course I would, yeah. So they would have had to have been in that trunk so it was delivered at six in the evening and Sprout goes Depends to whether it was 11. Amazon how was Vincent Price at this point? <laughs> right, so imagine how many farts he's doing in there. <laughs> Seriously. Oh, so when they get out, I've put it over the top. Yeah. They're not going, oh! <laughs> Yeah. I do that getting out of bed in the morning. I'm 40. Yeah, it would be, they'd all be seized up. Anyway. And this is really nasty. Yeah, oh, God, yeah, yeah. Because he gets out of his trunk and he goes up to Arthur Lowe's bed where he's sleeping and he injects Miss Marple in the bum. Woo! Yep, that's what she says. And he injects Arthur Lowe. Oh. Thank you. This is really good. Is it direct? Living face. And then he says, sheet, mm. lipstick. <laughs> yeah, it's really good, this bit. And then you get the music during the decapitation scene that sounds like it's been ported in from Emmanuel. It's I really I love seductive and sensual, but he's decapitating a man in his bed. There's a lovely plume of blood that squirts up immediately when he starts cutting, and it yeah. reminds me of um, Monty Python's Meaning of Life, like yeah. organ transplant. Like like organ. Putting, Hello, can we have your liver? Oh. There's a great gag with the bone saw. A horrible noise they use. Mm. Yeah. snoring. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then gives her another injection yeah. in the bum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the maid wakes... This is really confusing, this bit, the, right? Well, Adele comes in with the cafeteria. Not the Adele. It's the Adele, yeah. The one that's out now. Uh, obviously. Skyfall yeah. Adele. Yeah, it must be, yeah. Mm-hmm. She comes in. She see, This is really confusing, right? She sees the head and goes, oh, falls over, right? And then Ian Hendry comes out in the morning to get his pint of milk, and suddenly Arthur Lowe's head's sitting there looking at him as if to say, all right, <laughs> it's got this expression on its face, yeah. Like, pick up the milk, you stupid boy. <laughs> but but also in Hendry, um, I think if that had happened to any of us, we'd probably be lashed to a table on fucking Thorazine by now, mm. uh, screaming. Ian Hendry just kind of looks at it like, oh dear. Yeah, you should say there's a lot of head on these gold tops these days. <laughs> well, I don't understand what's happened between Joan Hickson off. and the maid finding the head, between the head getting to Ian Hendry's house. Right. There's a scene missing there, isn't there? Do you know, I never know. That's absolutely, you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's not as if they FedExed it there. The maid falls over, and then the next minute the head's on the milk bottle. I think maybe the maid had some sort of freak out and sort of slept-walked carrying the head from Martha Lowe's house to mm. Ian Hendry's house. Mm. I love the fact that Arthur Lowe is clearly a really good sport because he would have had to have had his head cast for that. And, and he has to lie there with the pale makeup on. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's got... right. And, and then you think about it. I mean, he, he was getting on a bit. His audience was a Sunday evening type, but there he is. It's like in um, O Lucky Man when he uh, plays the Garnon. <laughs> exactly. They said yeah. they had to make this film in quite a hurry because of the age of the cast. Yeah. Because they couldn't really afford any slip-up. we got all the facts here. We're covered. Especially Ali. I should point out, Ali gets the, the Smirsh Award because he's brought printouts. Oh, nice. Yeah, so it's been Brilliant. a fucking swap. I'm sorry. Man. Paul's bought two things. Fucking all. <laughs> <laughs> Like yeah, well, it is. It is, isn't it? Um, so, yeah, the head's on the milk bowl, and that's fine. And um, all the critics now have been told they're going to have police presence. Which are two policemen. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Two fucking police. And maybe a kind of half-hour security detail. It's, it's an... who, who, who seem to kind of get in their car at the slightest kind of provocation. Yeah. I'm just going to this unknown wine cellar. I'll just get back in the car then. I'm going to have yeah. my hair cut in, in, in Robert Field. I'll just wait. I'll just sit up on the fucking yeah. stairs reading Woman. You know, yeah. it just... <laughs> The thing is, I mean, although this film has a very sort of modern sensibility, the security detail make it look, you know, drag it back to the old Confessions-style movies, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rubbish. The whole sequence when they're trying to chase the taxi and they can't, all those rovers trying to reverse them. It's really poor comedy, that bit, isn't it? It really is, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, then we meet Eric Sykes, and this is a very odd role for Eric Sykes, isn't it? He's barely there, isn't This it? This makes his role in Boys in Blue look like Hamlet. <laughs> <laughs> then Dickman goes to his lovely uh, Italian... Is it an Italian restaurant, isn't it's it? It's a Serpentine in Hyde Park, as yeah. was. And then Diana Rigg turns up, as you mentioned before, dressed seductively with the reddest wow, lipstick. Wow, wow. I don't know if they're suggesting there's blood. Mm. It's the reddest lipstick I've ever seen. Also, it, also the camera does a good old close-up on her mouth. It does, well. and also her teeth are perfect. Um, but he is uh, seduced, you could say, mm. to, be, to coming to her theatre production because mm. poor Arthur Lowe was supposed to go, but unfortunately has been decapitated violently. I think she whispers what's happened to him. I suppose yeah. not to offend the other diners, but it does seem an odd moment, like something I've lost in translation. Yeah. I mean, we're not allowed to hear. Maybe exactly that's what she's saying at the end of Lost in Translation. Arthur oh, Lowe was decapitated. It's <laughs> 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 <Hit> her of blood. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, she goes with them to this living theatre, mm. which is sort of a 70s flash mob. Well, that's a weird... Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's the sort of fuckers you see at train stations. Yeah, it's, Leave me alone. It's alternative car park, isn't it? Oh, and well, the best thing about it is when the, she says to him, you know, we need to see your tits, he's got a wonderful medallion saying M. Did you notice that? 
What do you think it stands for? It stands for man, probably. Man, yeah. So then uh, Vincent Price comes out in disguise, which is obviously Vincent Price, <laughs> doing, doing Merchant of Venice. And when he gets to the theory, he wants a pound of flesh. Then they rewrite Shakespeare. Or as Ian Hendry says later, only he would have the temerity to rewrite Shakespeare. Yeah, you can imagine, put that line in, because people will say that isn't what happened. I wonder if people went, this isn't Shakespeare, and yeah. walked out of the cinema. <laughs> Oh, Lionheart, he wouldn't do that. Uh, that's the end of Harry Andrews. So then we cut back to Ian Hendry, who's been told that... Um, no, he hasn't been told Dickman's gone yet, or has he? Because he start, he then gives his Lionheart theory based on a poster that's very handily ordered yes. for the murders. But then we have, if then I was Lionheart, I'd have gone the opposite way yeah. to fool them. But yeah. Then we have a flashback, as it, as it transpires exactly yeah. uh, how Lionheart came to be there, or, that's right. or not came to be there. To get his award that looks like the beginning of Sale of the Century. It's a terrible award, isn't terrible it? Terrible award. And as he, and I suppose skipping skipping forward a bit here, as he as he plunges to his supposed death into the river, when he turns into a dummy out of shot, and, and he's yes, and he's yeah. rescued yeah. by the cast of Oliver, yeah. he's still pathetically clutching his his terrible yeah. award. Like, no, yeah. no, it's mine. Yeah. And it's a dreadful there's fucking a, award. There's a lovely uh, shot when he falls into the Thames of an ice cube dropping into a river. Lovely. Yes. Yeah. Yep. I really like that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that sort of thing. I was reading about this and. A director of photography, Austrian name, I can't remember, I should have written it down. Is it Adolf Hitler? <laughs> but he has only just died at age 104 last October. You can you can look it up. Someone will edit this, it's fine. Is it Steve Hitler? Wolfgang Sustich? He just died aged 104. I think that deserves a drink, actually. I think we should toast him now. Well, we will in the pub after. Mm. But anyway, so so this flashback goes back to exactly the, the circumstance surrounding Leinhardt's death or supposed death. Yeah, well, it's, it's quite grim because he turns up and basically says that award should be mine. Mm. And everyone's just like, well, with, the, with a carpet that made me think my hoover would die instantly because it's like these 14-foot-long strands in this shag pile carpet. How do you hoover that? No one knows. And then he goes out on the balcony and starts... Being Morrissey, basically. He does Morrissey or Hamlet. And they all they all just like point and laugh at him and follow him along laughing at him. Yeah. It's pretty awful. He's doing he's yes. doing the most I mean, one of the most moving iterations of Hamlet's To be or not to be. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, you know, whether it's just better to talking about pencils. Sound like Morrissey or, or you know, it's it's yeah. And as you say, they they rightly sort of peer and, and, and point at him through the glass and Diana Riggs just going, Father, you're making us so much worse. It's horribly moving. Yeah, he goes, oh God or something. He jumps to his well, supposedly so long life, and then he's over the balcony. Over the balcony, she, she, the amazing shot where she's face pressed against the window, screaming. It's a brilliant shot, yeah. Incredible shot. Combined with his jump, it works really, really well. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And, um, yeah, so he jumps off, and then Ian, Han- Ian Hendry, sorry, he says about how, um, doesn't he say how Harry Andrews is supposed to be coming round at some point? And then they get the box for the heart in it, saying, I wish I could have been there, but my heart wasn't in it. My heart, my heart is with you. My heart is with you, that's yeah. it. And then, uh, then, then, as we said before, he gives his uh, a theory based on the how the murders are committed. Much like Seven. He was a bit. If Seven was made by, you know, an Am- Amdram company <laughs> who were using Shakespeare instead of um, the Seven Deadly Sins. I mean, that was, I remember when I saw it the first time as a little kid. It was like a lesson in Shakespeare. Yeah. I remember impressing oh. my English teacher 
So an old map was from Titus Andronicus. How do you know that? Theatre of blood. It's like Monty Python teach you about philosophy. Yes. Exactly, yeah. It's the only way it you has an end in it. Yeah. yeah. It's also a great way if you're a kid to remember these yeah. things as well. So theatre of blood is horrible histories. Exactly, yes. yes. Absolutely. Before yeah. Yeah. It's proto. Studies. Yeah. yeah. So then Larding, who is... This is Dennis Price, isn't it? This is Robert Coote. Robert Coote, sorry. Larding then gets an invitation to go to a wine tasting. He's like, yeah, well, Why people not? want to kill me. I might as well go. Um, so he goes into the wine cellar. Now, the wine cellar, I have to say, is literally uh, around the corner from Uncle Monty's house, the real-life location of Uncle Monty's house oh. in, in Chelsea. Thank God you're here. Anyway, please carry on. I'm sorry. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. This is brilliant. This is great. We've got yeah. a proper critic here. Yeah. Obviously, we'll kill him later. We'll make him <laughs> eat his own cats. Yes. Yeah. Uh, or something. Cut his head off. Cut his head off, Somehow yeah. Somehow get it to... Uh, Put it on a milk bottle. <laughs> Put it on his grave. Yeah. I'm assuming he's dead, isn't he? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Had a very sad ending as well. How did Ian Hendry die? He's a chronic alcoholic. Oh, really? He's, it's, it's worth pointing out throughout this film, he is, he is as in Get Carter too, he is absolutely fucked. Oh, he's, yeah, he's 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 a shambling, pathetic. Actor. He's very good. It's very sad. He is very good, but it also makes his physicality in the film quite a surprise. He's very fragile. Yeah, fragile, but also the way, you know, sort of leaping around later. If you think, mm. my God, you should be skidding around and pulls. Well, I'm guessing that's where the fencing mask came in quite handy for stuntmen. Yeah. So uh, Larding goes to the wine tasting, and he goes into the wine cellar with again Diana Rigg as Jeff Lynne, and. Uh, <laughs> And Price comes out and does a speech from... He does a speech from Richard III. Yeah, and then... he's Again, he's dressed as Peter Sellers doing Spectre Clues. Yeah, all doing Hard Day's Night. Mm. It's been a hard day's night. And and they they end up dunking Larding into a barrel of white white Ribena. Duke of Clarence style. This is filmed in, um, well, what was the following year, because it wasn't at that point. It was just at that point a wine cellar. Mm. This huge wine cellar under London Bridge uh, in Tooley Street, which might give you clues to what it turned into. London Dungeons. Exactly. The following year became a oh, London Dungeons. Oh, that's amazing. Mm. This is brilliant. I've done some filming in the London Dungeons about 20 years ago. Have you? At night. Wow. <gasps> I, when I finished my bit, I was walking around with a torch. Bloody scary. It's really scary. What was that for? It was for a thing called Spoofo Vision with Mash and Peas, Lucas and Wally. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Paramount. Yeah. We did a, uh, a Mickey take of a sort of Arthur C. Clarke type of show called um, Strange Phenomenons. Is that the Edgar Wright directed yes, days? Edgar Wright, yeah. and we filmed all those days. I was the host of the show. We did, yeah, about nights shooting there. They were great, those specials. They, did they were a, really funny. They were great. They did a great Seinfeld one, and they did a great... Yeah. Um, what was the other one? Oh, uh, My, My Two Dads type thing yeah, as well. yeah. And uh, the one I liked when I was Morph. I think it was called <laughs> Take Pity. Or, uh, take Heart, something like that. So funny. They were very good. It's on YouTube. Yeah, it's all on YouTube, thank God. Only Strange Phenomenons isn't. That's a shame. Strangely. I might dig it out and stick it out there. Was it the government? Maybe. Illuminati. Um, so I digress. No, no, we like digressions in the air. It keeps us away from uh, people being dunked in Ribena. Um, so, yeah, then uh, the police basically should have said, right, to any of these critics, if you're in a location, if anyone starts saying Shakespeare, <laughs> run. <laughs> but they all hang around and like, oh, what's this? What's going on? But the, 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 smell grease paint. The wine yeah. dunking leads to my, one of my favourite lines in the Go film, on. which is Miley O'Shea, doorsteps, Hendry and Rig. And he says, it seems as long as we filled with Chambertine 1964. Well, beautiful line. Well, that's the foreshadowing I was, I was mentioning earlier. He mentions that in the first critics meeting. Mm. This, this wine is very nice. It's that particular Chambertine wine. 1964. There you go. Mm. Yeah. Uh, what I should have said here is when, when Larding sees... What, what I'd have written if I was writing this film. When Larding sees Lionheart and Lionheart starts quoting Shakespeare, he should have said, because they're in a wine cellar, he should have said, Lionheart... You're barred. That <laughs> <laughs> would have made the film much better, but unfortunately, but again, he didn't. It's all the research that Edward Lionheart, where he must have sat down and thought, right, what are all the individual characteristics that yeah. like, marry to whatever Shakespeare death? I hear he likes a drink. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hear he's a bit of a lech. You know, it's funny that he's so much attention to detail, you have to admire him. It's, it's almost like he's got nothing better to do. Nothing better to do. I think we have to applaud the, the scriptwriters and writers generally, and they've never reclaimed in their own time, you know. And I think we have to applaud the scriptwriter, who's a guy called Anthony Greville Bell, mm. who was like a real-life James Bond back then. He was in the SAS. Wow. You know, this is the writer of Theatre of Blood. Mm. And then, be, then he worked in the city for a bit, and then he became a sculptor. They, they did a stage production, didn't they, in 2005? Yeah. Did he, was it mainly his screenplay? Or no, I saw that at the National. And, um, yeah, I didn't like it. I mean, I, you know, Theatre of Blood's probably my favourite time favorite film you know um 
And so I was very happy to go and see this. And it starred Rachel Sterling, who's Diana Rigg's daughter, in the same role uh, for a bit of, you know, continuity. And Jim Broadbent played Edward Lionheart. And um, from the start, Jim Broadbent decided to, to play Lionheart. Talk like that! Talk like that! No, 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 no! So running around the stage going, oh my God, oh my God, I'm Edward Lionheart! Oh, shrill. It was fucking awful. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard someone saying that the problem with it was that they played him as like a mad person rather yeah. than... Uh... But, but there was a twist. I mean, you know, obviously it's, it's, it's long gone now, but the kind of spoiler mm. was that sort of two-thirds the way through the play suddenly Broadbent stop talking like that oh my god oh my god let's kill someone and immediately then went back to sort of normal Jim Broadbent right I'm just going to talk like this now and so everyone went look it was shit to begin with now you've really offended me now this is really annoying now Mm. you know half the murders weren't in it because of the obviously constraints of theatre the the script was was wildly all over the place they modernised it so it was up to date so you had like the FT and Guardian and whatever and Times critics getting getting cut off it was just it was was like a weird kind of postmodern take on Theatre of Blood when all he wanted to see was a kind of faithful adaptation yeah. of Theatre of Blood. So, it, yeah, it got very mixed reviews, and I didn't like it at all. Here's what I'll tell you. My friend went to the opening night. He's with his partner. Yeah. We're waiting for it to start. He went, so what is this? Is this based on some crappy old Hammer horror film, is it? And then Diana Reed was sat right in front. He turned oh, around and went, it wasn't Hammer, actually. Oh, my God. <laughs> but it was crap. <laughs> That's what I'd have said if I was her. But it isn't crap, obviously. Anyway, so um, Devlin, so Ian Hendry, goes to see Edwina, and she's working on a film set, isn't she? At this she's point, a makeup artist. Yeah. She's putting an arrow in someone's neck, enough. Mm. which looks rubbish. I wouldn't work. hire her. Well, I would have had a moment where the chief uh, of the artistic department would come up to Diana and go, "Look, the second permed wig has gone missing." <laughs> <laughs> One, one keeps going missing all the time, now another one's going missing. One we could ignore. Yeah. Two, no. Be on the pale. <laughs> Sorry, come on, where were we? Is that what Because they made her a makeup artist, they're saying, well, that's where they're getting all this costume. Boring and all. Put it in the back of the car, into the night. three pints before doing this. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> so, anyway. So, um... This <laughs> is for... Oh, dear, dear. <laughs> Yes, so he he comes on the set. Is this when Milo O'Shea turns up and says they need to arrest her because they need her to help with their inquiries? (laughs) Stop it. Um, So then... Ian Hendry thinks, oh, well, she's been arrested, so I'll go to my fencing class, which is obviously somewhere where I use swords, which I probably will be murdered. Yes. I mean, that's a ridiculous thing. Again, yeah. I'm I'll go not going to go fencing. Everyone's <laughs> dying around me. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's a fucking disaster. <laughs> They put you outside. <laughs> I mean, you'd think you'd avoid places where there's me sharp objects. Mm. I'll just go to my amateur dynamite class. Yes. I'll be fine. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he goes to his school of fencing, and there's a tramp outside, one of Lionheart's class. Minions. And uh, he goes in for his um, fencing practice, and then he arrives there, and someone's, like, doing a French accent. Yes. I don't know what kind of fuck accent that is. It's a bit of French, it's, isn't it's it? It's very odd, isn't it? Maybe it's, I think it's supposed to be Italian, isn't it? Because it, it's Romeo and Juliet. And oh, so yeah. The yeah. Tocqueville School, which is another mm. reference. So it's like, hello, hello, are you kids of fans? Mm. And again, once he reveals himself as Lionheart, a normal person would run. But this man decides to have a sword fight with him. Which is sort of like Don and Pete, Cracker Jack. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. think if you're in the middle, your life is in danger. So yeah. I'm, I know I'm going to jump on top of a, a wooden 
exercise bench. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump on a fucking trampoline. Which is <laughs> <laughs> obviously I'm going nowhere. Yeah. Five, in fact, both of them are jumping on trampolines like they've actually given up fighting. They're yeah, just yeah. having too much fun. Yeah. You know, like the Berillians and bedazzled. <clears throat> it does go on forever. He finally has um, Ian Hendry be killed, and he basically says, "Right, well, now you're nearly dead. I'll tell you what happened." And as he jumped off of the building, it's a bit like the, the origin of Catwoman. <laughs> he falls in the water and then gets brought back to life by tramps and swigging meths. Is it meths? It kind of looks like um, you, you don't see people drinking meths anymore, I suppose. Because yeah. sorry, the wankers on the pavement were drinking that. You see, exactly. it looks like stream wash. I remember yeah. being my father in the seventies, sat in Hyde Park, and we saw these meth drinkers. So strange. There's that joke about meths, isn't there? About the guy who goes in to buy meths from a hardware shop, mm. and the man who owns it says, "I'm not selling you any because you guys always come in and buy it." And you go around the back of my shop and piss on the wall, and it takes all the paint off. <laughs> and the guy goes, "Look, I don't want to do that. I just want to buy some." Meths and the guy who owns the shop says, All right, I'll sell you this meth. And he gets it down, and the guy goes, Have you got a cold one? <laughs> that's quite, yeah. it must have been a very traumatic scene to a film. I mean, he's, I mean, it looks like they are genuinely rolling around in that mud. I'm surprised he didn't get Wells disease. The woman with the I was thinking that, yeah. really freaks me out. She's yes, really she's very turf. prominent, isn't she? She's, she's, she's really scary. She's incredibly mm. skeletal. Mm. Uh, she looks very terrifying. Yeah, I bet she's dead now. I think Diana Riggs probably the only surviving member I would have thought. What, of the whole cast, do you think? She's the Ian Lavender of Theatre of Blood. I, I've written down at this point, if I was a friend of Lionheart's, I'd say, look, turn it in with the Shakespeare, mate. Seriously. It's like when you're at school and that guy constantly quotes Python. Yeah. Yeah, at first you're like, yeah, brilliant. And after a while you're like, just fucking stop me all he does is fucking (laughs) Shakespeare all the time Mm. it would really piss me off if I was his friend and then um, (laughs) this is the funniest line in the whole film for me Ian Hendry turns to him and says you did kill Larding and the others didn't you who the fuck else would it have been (laughs) seriously it's just coincidence Um, and then we get perhaps the best critic death of Jack Hawkins uh, where Vincent Price again putting in the legwork of coming in a few times to massage (laughs) Dino Dawes yes yeah, he's, he's dressed like the man from Del Monte. He is. He says, "Yes," but isn't he got a kind of weird Scottish accent? He's supposed point? to be Scottish. Yeah, he's like, "Oh, hello, my lovely." He's like Mrs. Doubtfire. If yeah. Mrs. Doubtfire was a this, this, this well, is a pervert. Yeah, this, this scene, by the way, uh, in Cheney Walk, um, which is now almost exclusively occupied by oligarchs and football managers. So, yeah, Diana Dawes has got her masseuse coming round because he knows Jack Hawkins is watching. He's, he's turning up to 11, as the kids say these days. Yeah. But this is the thing. He's making her make noises and he's making noises as well. Jack Hawkins comes in and looks through the keyhole and he's insanely jealous. Yeah, he's been tipped off by Diana, by Diana Rick. That, um, That's right. His wife's having an affair, so he mistakes her... But self. with a fully dressed man, mm-hmm. you'd clearly walk in and go, oh, it's a massage, mm-hmm. OK. But no, Ryan Hart is taking an inordinate risk here. He is. Because you think, well, this man, I'm, I'm prepared to take the risk that he's going to kill his wife and he's going to end up in prison. Mm. He might not, though. He might mm. kill me. Mm. But I'm going to take that gamble. Maybe he's got a tramp with a crossbow on standby. <laughs> he thinks ahead. Yeah. You're doing him wrong on his logistics. Oh, yeah. He's definitely got a Lee Harvey Oswald across the street. Yeah, so well, my favourite bit, actually my other favourite line from this film is when uh, Vincent Price goes out and sees a policeman and says, Officer, if I'm not mistaken, Mr Sotheri is murdering his wife. And the policeman goes, oh, thank you, sir. Don't worry about hanging around. And then in- Inspector Boot, who's a fucking idiot, because he-, he comes and he's just basically like, oh, what's going on? It's like, well, it's clear what's going on, you tit. And then we cut to Miss Moon going to the hairdressers. And then when we get the best Vincent Price appearance of the whole film, going back to your observation earlier, <laughs> that we don't want to start that again. Vincent Price arrives in a massive Afro wig yeah. as Butch. Uh, he, he scares a policeman. Yeah. Policeman's a bit scared because he's a gay man. Yeah. I love the yeah. fact that he says... Who's this great big beautiful thing with her? Is it yours? And the security guard, kind of absolute deference, respectfully removes his cap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then we again, Diana Riggs, Jeff Lynn again. So this yeah. is the two Afro wigs you yes. were talking about earlier. And then he puts rollers in her hair and she says, Oh, these are new kinds of rollers. And he says, Yeah, they're the new thing from Gay Parry. Mm. And then electrocutes her to death. No, it's... But the straps are, I shouldn't worry about her arms being strapped down. Mm. Mm. So why are you? Why, yeah, you're my wrist to the chair. Yeah. This is out of out of all the murders in this whole film. I think this is easily 
the most disturbing and shocking. I mean, oh, not for me. But go on. Oh, for, for me it is. But mm. it, it almost sort of transcends any of that kind of horror comedy genre completely. It is horrible. It's definitely not the worst one. Um, so then Diana Rigg, she meets up with Ian Hendry and says she's spoken to her dad, but can't say where he is yet. And at this point, we're still not supposed to know that Diana Rigg's the accomplice, even though it's completely obvious she is. This is fucking mental, right? So Diana Rigg yeah. says to Ian Hendry, look, you've got to come and see, you know, my dad on your own. Yeah. And he goes, yeah, right. Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> But he does do the right thing because when he does meet her later on, he does say, I brought the police with me. Even though he doesn't, he brings a twat with him. <laughs> um, then we get the bit where Vincent Price turns up at Robert Morley's house. And Robert Morley is brought by Securicor. They are part responsible for Group 4 now, aren't they? So it's another Group 4 fuck up. Yeah. So they bring him to his house, let him into a murderer. And um, this is the most disturbing death for me because he's literally forced fed his own dogs, which is awful. Yeah. And he thinks he's going to be on ten. He's not. The, the disturbing thing about disappointment. Well. Yeah, he's going to be on. This is your dish. Yeah. The disturbing thing about that for me, and I think it probably says more about sort of modern sensibilities as well, uh, is that no one bats an eyelid that is telly. For some reason, telly is sacrosanct. It can't be culpable of anything. If there's a TV crew have arrived, it must be okay. But it makes me think: Has Vincent Price been doing a TV show as All cover? <laughs> so, in which case, presumably he's receiving a wage. So why doesn't he just carry on doing this is your dish? Yeah. I would. Fuck the critic thing. I'm earning more money doing a yeah. TV chef. Yeah, I love cooking. Yeah, yeah, presumably he's a good cook because he cooks them in a pie. There's one bit in this, Mm. and it happens twice in the film, where the actor looks down the barrel of the lens. Diana Rigg does it. I think it's when she's by the putting flowers by the grave. It's very strange. Yeah. And then Robert Morley does it in this, and I know he's because he thinks he's on television. You mean the bit where he says, which one is the camera, and there's that giant fucking camera next to him? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that bit, yeah. That I can understand as a reason, but... The other one, the Diana Rigg one, yes. looking straight down the lens of I'm assuming she's just talking to me because, you know, she wants to go out with me. But it's proper method acting to do your own TV show called This Is Your Dish. It's like when Daniel Day-Lewis went to be a cobbler. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm going to go and do my own TV show for this bit. Again, it shows that you're restricting yourself by just doing Shakespeare. You've got so much more in your box. You to get a show commissioned. Yes. In this day, well, not this day and age, but that day and age. Mm. Fanny Craddock. Graham Kerr. Yeah. But does cause he know he goes, Oh, I, I love this program. Doesn't he say some Robert Moore? Yeah. Yeah. That he, yeah. yeah. Unless he's So it actually exists. Yeah. So he's on telly, <laughs> presumably being paid, probably funding all these murders, and he decides to murder everybody who was horrible at him once. Yeah. <laughs> but it's one T V production sort of rigorously tied to to a schedule. So all those nights he's going off murdering. He's mm. probably got post-producers going, where the fuck is he? Yeah. yeah. Why wouldn't someone say, hey, on that's Richard Lionel. Didn't he die a few years ago? <laughs> no, because he's wearing a disguise. Oh, right. yeah. He's wearing a hat. Yeah, because that's how disguises work in this film. If you wear a hat, yeah. no one can see who you are. If you wear a moustache, over a moustache, exactly. no idea. And of course, people will be wondering, so Jeff Lynn has a very busy schedule <laughs> as well. You know, not only is he on tour with the band... He's, he's, he's the house band and this is your dish. Yeah. Good for, good for him. Sweet talking pie. Um, so yeah, he, Robert Morley is force fed his dogs in a horrible thing. They put like a horn in his mouth, mm. and they push the pie in through the horn yeah. and make him eat it. Like an old suffragette style. Yeah. My daddy just turned to me and went, "Paul, with this, why are we watching?" <laughs> <laughs> Wincing. From for me, I saw this as a child, and so subsequently, every time I have like a chicken pie, all I can think of is this mm. film whatever the situation and it arouses me um, so Ian Hendry goes to meet um, Diana Rigg mm. as discussed previously and, he, and Eric Sykes is like spying on them for undercover and I was just thinking imagine the fucking inquest to the vast police incompetence in this case <laughs> um, so Eric Sykes is going with a microphone you know like hiding going oh he's over there he's over there so Ian Hendry is then kidnapped right and thrown onto a horse and cart Diana Rigg drives his car off and then you get this bizarre moment where Myra O'Shea is hearing on the radio Eric Sykes going there's a train coming there's a train coming coming and then he gets killed by a train this is the level of incompetence mm. all those passengers that were being killed slaughtered mm. as well yeah do people don't think of that no awful and then the best bit of the film Ian Hendry wakes up and he's at the Critics Circle Awards and then we get the big reveal that Jeff Lynn is none other than Diana Rigg who would have thought it apart from everybody watching the film with eyes I wonder if when I was the kid I actually got bamboozled by that did I think it was you probably, got, you probably never looked at ELO the same way again well when I saw it um, I, I wasn't really aware of ELO probably but when the ELO came out did you think they're all yeah, dying a rig I first knew about ELO when they were with Out of the Blue album which was 77 Hmm. which would have been when I would have probably seen this film. There are a lot of so you just contradicted what you just yes, said? Yeah, yeah, no, so, yeah, I probably just thought, that. Oh, so, Paul Partner, you're a liar. <laughs> there are a lot of films that had sort of weird kind of satanic murderous hippies in around that time, like Satanic Rites of Dracula. 
Yeah. With a very similar kind of style of yeah, yeah. sheepskin jacket. Johnny kind of, card. Yeah, 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 mm. all that sort of business. Yeah. Psychomania. Even in Carry On Camping, hippies are evil, aren't they? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's the kind of knock-on culture becomes quite conservative. It's kind of backlash against the hippies. Everyone hates hippies. Mm, I do. Oh, well, God, yeah. As long as you're a lecherous old man cheating on your wife on a camping holiday, that's all right. Mm. Uh, God, you have long hair. Mm. It's like nuts in May all over again, isn't it? So Ian Hendry is then tied to a chair in a weird bondagey way with a studded thing under his chin. The world is not enough. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Glad you came. Basically, Lionheart's made an awards ceremony for himself in much the same way we all would if we got bad reviews. And he gets given his award. And Ian Hendry is tied to a chair with daggers that are heated <laughs> on a string coming towards his eyes. Mm. But whilst the Robert Morley stuff was going on, Lionheart had got a tramp with his mask to drive a taxi. So all the police who were guarding Robert Morley's house abandoned every position to follow a taxi. With a man wearing clearly a mask. They managed to get the information out of him by giving him a drink. Yes. He's Achilles' heel. Yeah. yeah. So well, it's whiskey, isn't it? So it's like from going it's like going from Panda Pops to <laughs> Coca-Cola. Yeah. So he's loving that. So no wonder he, he buckled. So he tells them where exactly Lionheart is operating from. But luckily, the police arrive just in time to rescue Ian Hendry from having knives in his eyes. And then the weirdest thing happens. The police turn up. Lionheart decides to start burning down the theatre. Diana Rigg is hit on the head with the award by, by a tramp. Ginger woman. By the by scary the ginger, ginger woman. Lady, yeah. And dies. She doesn't die. She's, she's sort of knocked unconscious for a bit. But and then she sort of wakes up a little bit. Does she? I think for the rest of the film, it seems like she's dead to me. I, th- I, think I don't mean she's dead to me. I mean, it seems like yeah. she's... So it concuss a little bit. Well, they don't make that very clear because he climbs to the top of the theatre with her over his shoulder like, as if she's a dummy because she is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the stuntman work in here is not very good because you can see it's clearly not him. I know we weren't dealing with HD in those days, but I don't think with even standard definition you would think that was Vincent Price. This was, by the way, this is worth pointing out, this was actually setting fire to the Putney Hippodrome. Yes. Which was two years from demolition. And Madeline Smith... Uh, is on camera at some point in an extra saying they basically made the cast run through fucking burning curtains there was no you know there's no health and safety going on this time so he climbs to the roof with her and then he starts giving another fucking Shakespeare speech but by this point we're all bored off to be honest and um dies falls to his death and I'm presuming Edwina dies as well at this point because she's on top of a burning building so she might as well have died when she got Mm. here with head so he falls and then Ian Hendry says he always knew how to make an exit Mm. and then the film ends yeah. yeah. It's not a very satisfying ending, it's a bit lame, is it? isn't it? Yeah. It's um, not a strong enough joke. No, definitely not. I think it's a, it's a case of the, the, the cast is too big. Yeah. Because some people, or maybe the cast is too terrific as well, that no one really gets to, apart from Price, really shine in it. I mean, the first thing my parents said is, they killed off Michael Horden already. I thought that when I was watching it the other night, yeah. And um, Madeline Smith. Three sort of... three lines, if yeah. that? Yeah. I mean, I... I, I, I... She's supposed to be Ian Hendry's partner or something. She It was mooted to be originally, but um, by the time the filming sort of arrived, they thought, oh, let's just drop that love interest thing. It's just really... Concentrate on the murder. I don't know. I like I like the audacity of killing off these incredibly famous character actors. Yeah, um, like Mars Attacks. Yeah, exactly. So, so I sort of, sort of see it sort of differently. But this is why I think it's a very kind of modern film. It's you know, it's 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 almost kind of postmodern in a way. And I was complaining about the stage show being postmodern, but this, in the context of when it was when it arrived in 1973, mm. this was way ahead of its time. Definitely. Yeah. I don't. It's one of those films that you could say, "Oh, it'd be great if they remade it," but it wouldn't. It's kind of knowing, but it's not facetiously and pretentiously knowing. If you were to remake it now, you'd have to set it in 1970. What, what year was this? 73. 73. Mm. That's the only way it would work because of the situation. Because now police would be able to track people, and it'd just be stupid if they did a remake now. But anyway, Theatre of Blood. There we are. We did it. Yeah. We got through it. I love it. Yeah, I have to say. Me too. Ending lets it down, but the, the journey there is brilliant. Hurrah! But we've reached the point of the podcast where I ask quick-fire questions. Okay. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, what I'm going to do to make it democratic and fair, I'm going to ask you them both in turn. Here we go, quick-fire questions. So, well, this is Bond-related, I'm afraid. Okay. Who is the best Bond and what is the best Bond film, Paul? Well, my favourite Bond is Roger Moore. Even though I did grow up with Connery, not at the time, Mm-mm. but Roger Moore was my Bond. I just, I, I just love that, his film. I mean, I love all the Bond films, but uh, there's something very nostalgic about Roger Moore and his lightness of touch and the warmth of him and, and, and The Spy Who Loved Me, I think, is my favourite more. Excellent. But I did see Live and Let Die recently on the big screen and that's really much better than I remembered. So, Rog. 
Roger Moore. Well, Ali, your choice. Oh, well, you know, you asked me. I think um, I completely agree with Paul, actually, Roger Moore, and for those similar kind of reasons. Um, Film-wise, uh, again, Spy Who Love Me was the first one that sort of flickered across my uh, visor in terms of knowing anything about Bond. Obviously, it's got the best song, it's got the best or one of the best kind of title intros. It, it's amazing. The the villain is crap, I have to admit. Uh, all he wants to do is just really sort of spurious reason why he, he hates humans, you know, or, or mankind. Just he just, just thinks, thinks it's a bit rubbish and he just wants to hunker in his fucking submarine eat fish with other men eating fish no no he wants everybody to live underwater like he does because he likes it because he likes fish it's like my dad my dad's like that with everything I like it when a Bond villain says all my life Mr Bond I like insert thing here <laughs> but, space. but can I say that's not actually I was, I've changed my mind actually my, oh. fav- my favourite for, for strangely perverse reasons is Oms for the simple reason to do with that James Elroy Flecker business the poem mm. I don't know master of the world I don't and and Dinah Rigg and the most I mean it's been described as, as the best shot in the entire franchise of him and the helicopter yeah, oh yeah. and the dawn rising and the yeah. rifle and it's, it's I mean I'm getting, actually getting chills on my back even describing it it's extraordinary it's a wonderful scene uh, it's a wonderful scene and it's so that plus the film is it's very out of kilter with the rest of Bond it's also it's the, gone, isn't it? yeah and it's also the only Bond film that's completely entirely slavishly from the book do, right. do you cry at the end I, I always cry it comes so quickly, I mean, like a, like that. It's, mm. There's no real sort of build-up to it. It comes so fast, and the ending is so fast after it that, that, that I gasp. I don't cry. I was like, shit, that's like a punch in the stomach. He does really well with it. Someone who's not an actor, mm. I think he does that really well. Mm. And he doesn't get enough credit for that mm. scene. There are moments in that film where you think, oh, dear. Mm. But that scene, he does really well. So the other way around, Paul, who is your worst Bond, and what's the worst Bond film? Well, I don't like picking out on anyone in specifically but if i had to say and he's a fine actor and the films are great but i'm not a daniel craig to me it's not bond it's something else They're excellent movies I, I thoroughly enjoyed uh skyfall and i think like i said i think he's a great actor but on that token he's he's not my worst bond no. I mean, my least favorite bond he looks like he's got a stick up his bottom half of <laughs> as, as uh, i think mark gates said in in, a, in an interview he's a grunt I'm still watching. It's still good. All right. So what's the least favourite Bond film? I think it's For Your Eyes Only, because I was the sort of age... I'd been wowed by Spy Who Loved Me. Moonraker was a hoot, even though I didn't like the way he was getting too silly and they made Jaws speak. And He got a girlfriend. He got a girlfriend. Yeah. It was all the kind of running t- to each other in slow motion, all of that. And it got mm. very silly. And For Your Eyes Only seemed to be a complete vault face, wasn't it? Turn around quite serious it's the morning after the party yes yeah. and it was much more of a, a of a serious plot and I was still quite young at the time I didn't like any of the music in it Bill Conti isn't yeah. it the Rocky Man it just yeah. wasn't bond enough for me drive through the country and all of that I mean had some great bits in it I like all the bit with the citron but I, I remember being a bit disappointed alright so Al- Ali what's your and Janet Brown as Margaret oh, oh yeah, yeah. and John yeah. Wells as Dennis Thatcher yeah, yeah. Might as well have Ian Hendry come in and do the end. Stephen Hendry. Ali, same question. I, I can only agree with Paul. I think, simply by dint of the fact that... Why don't you two just get married? <laughs> well, we, we didn't want to tell you this, but we're going to do this on air. You're sporting now. Sorry. Um, but I agree with Paul because simply by dint of the fact that, by sheer bad luck, he's made more bad bonds than good bonds that's just a fact it's, and it's a shame because he's a fucking incredible actor obviously mm. the North and Mother whatever you know just amazing actor um, and he's had the, the utter rotten luck to be saddled with, it, with, with this kind of post-born thing which he clearly doesn't really enjoy. He's clearly uh, doing it for the cash this time round, as, as everyone knows. And also, you know, as, as I say, he's just made more bad Bond films in that short period than good ones. And so for that reason, it's, it's yeah, it's great. And the worst film? Right. Well, you know, we've, we've been through a long journey with Bond, haven't we? We've been through several iterations. We've been through several sort of cultural flashpoints and, you know, um, and several sort of stages in, in, in the narrative of Bond. Um, so to wind up at the end with fucking Spectre, after all of that, is just a fucking heartbreak. It is a travesty of a fucking movie. I haven't seen it. It's bad, Paul. It's fucking bad. The, the, the thing about Spectre, right, is that... One of the things about Spectre is that it thinks, right, it thinks it's better than Die Another Day. It's not. It's not better than Die Another Day. It's shit. I'm, <laughs> you know, for anyone actually, you know, listening to this and saying, oh, I like Spectre, fuck off. You're <laughs> fucking wrong. <laughs> 
I'm not saying anything yet. The first, I tell you what, the first 20 minutes of Spectre. I'm mildly nodding. The first 20 minutes of Spectre, I was, I was on the edge of my seat during that helicopter fight. And I thought, whoa, this is fucking great. This is actually kind of better than Skyfall. This is really, I'm really enjoying this. This is fucking great. And then after, almost in simpatico with that helicopter going down, the whole film just goes, ooh. <laughs> it's awful. I think, I think this mistake is to try and kind of weld the kind of old sort of campy style or the old classic version of Bond with this kind of new sensibility, which is the first one in that kind of Craig kind of strand to do that. And it doesn't fucking work. It's dreadful. Either do Bond, you know, or do fucking Bond. So, and also, I'll just say as well, the whole fucking Christoph... I'm really angry about Spectre. The whole fucking Christoph Waltz thing about, oh, no, I cannot possibly say if I am Blofeld. I am not Blofeld, no. Fuck off! Everyone knew you were fucking Blofeld. <laughs> and you were a shit Blofeld. I'm sorry, Christoph. Next question. Uh, so, Paul, who would you have as James Bond next? Now, this this is a difficult one. Because I was thinking about who I'd like to have seen play Bond. I'd like to have seen Clive Owen have done Bond. Because um, he was up for it, wasn't he? Um, apparently, Gareth Hunt was also up to play Bond. Yeah, the next cafe, man. Yeah. Gareth Hunt did this film called Licence to Love and Kill. Jesus. Where he's attacked by a woman with tassels on her nipples that are like plane propellers that chop up a chair he holds up there. <laughs> Uh, so look it up on YouTube, Licence to Love and Kill. He'd have been a great Bond. Well, my friend worked with Gareth Hunt on a Willie Russell play back in the 80s. Mm. And Gareth Hunt told me, I uh, told him rather, uh, that he, he really mucked up his casting for Bond. He'd learnt this trick where he was able to light a cigarette and flip it into his mouth. And he'd been practising it and practising it. He went in and he did it and it didn't work. So he just carried on with the interview and then screamed about two minutes later because the, the lit cigarette had, had fallen on between his legs and had burnt through his trousers. And he said, I was so uncool. Burn his coffee beans. Broccoli just sort of went, mm, OK. This is a familiar... Tw- it's, it's, like, it's like the audition, Lewis Collins audition, famously. He went in thinking they want this arrogant... They want Bodhi, basically. Mm. So he went in and gave it Bodhi and yeah. he just intimidated them too much. All right. So they told him to... Not, no thanks. But Gareth Hunt went... Uh, and Robin Asquith were in this play as well. And they I went, thought you were going to say Robin Asquith went in for Bob. No, no. That would have been amazing. <laughs> they, went, they went and played a round of golf... Uh-huh. Um, with Sean Connery mm-hmm. and uh, my friend used to do loads of Sean Connery impressions to make him laugh mm. during the production he was a uh, company manager and Asquith said to Connery as he was taking his putt he said oh we've got this bloke at work he does you better than you and he said, well he sounds like a real asshole <laughs> so there yeah, you go wonderful. Said, uh, Sean Connery thinks I'm an asshole he's <laughs> my hero that's that's what he thinks. <laughs> okay, so Ali, who would you have as Bond next? Toby Jones. Toby Jones. Mm, he's good in the detectorists. He Toby Jones. Yeah. Why not? Hear it for the little guy. He's about three foot tall. I know, but, but <laughs> I just want to see him in a little dicky. Yeah. He'd be double oh three and a half. Or Riz Ahmed. I'd like to see Riz Ahmed as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, you have to sort of bulk up as well. Christopher think, Reeve, yeah. before he played Superman, oh, was a yes, big I know, yeah. pencil in Superman. He's huge. Mm. So he got David Prowse right. to teach yes. him. Right, next question. Bond is full of stupid names like Money Penny, mm. Small Bone and Goodhead. Give me your best Bond lady name. Connie Lingus. Connie Lingus, that's brilliant. But also because I wanted to be in the Sean Connery iteration. So he goes, yes, Connie Lingus. Like Jesus Al Murray's puppet, pop it in me. It's <laughs> a good one. Let me think. It's all right, this can be edited, don't worry. All right. It's not dead air. Vagina minx. <laughs> Sorry, I was taking some water at that point and uh, that's nearly destroyed me. Vagina minx. Okay, good, good. Right. So, um, give me give me your best Bond film title that you've just made up. Remember, they don't make sense ever, so it's fine. I don't know. The Spy with the Platinum Testicle. <laughs> good, good. Ali? Ring piece. <laughs> yeah. It's got its own song. I made it up as I came here. It's like ring piece. Yeah. Oh, ring piece. <laughs> I also like the fact it would go James Bond will return yeah. in ring piece. I like that. That's good. Yeah. One of the things in the advertising for Die Another Day, which oh. was Bronze, Bronson's last one, was, was just so funny that with a poster, especially you'd be mainly in the bus ones, had big Die Another Day yeah. from a distance, just looked like Dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which effectively it was because yeah. he was quite old in that one. Good. Uh, so next one: a hypothetical fist fight takes place between Simon Templer the Saint and James Bond 007. Who wins? James Bond. Maybe that's got all the training, isn't he? Yeah. Much more than I would say Simon Templer. 
who is a coward because he wears disguises. Ali? Well, obviously it's Bond. I mean, Templar's just a ponce. He's just a libtard cuck. I mean, he'd be, he'd be like, doing his hair or, like, yeah. fussing with the Chelsea boots and Bond would be, like, fucking beating him. Yeah, beating. Or Ryan Singer for The Guardian. Mm. No offence, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. He could whip off his halo. Uh, yeah, decapitate him with yeah. it. But he's just he's just made of stick, though, isn't he? Mm. He's just made of a chalk stick. Yes, he is. He's literally a chalk literally stick. Just take his sticks apart. Right. So, final question. I'm going to ask you both at the same time for this one. Maybe maybe you could work as a team on this one. Harmonise. Yeah, harmonise. Let's, let's We're do some married already. So team building on this right. one. This is, yeah. It's actually like a team team building exercise you get in an office. You're stranded on an island with Sean Connery, George Lazenby, Roger Moore, Timothy Dalton, Pierce Brosnan, and Daniel Craig. Who do you elect as leader to advise your rescue attempt? And if it fails, who do you eat first? Can I can I nominate Dalton? as the leader because clearly he's the most intelligent mm. he's ruthlessly cunning he's ingenious he's kind I just think out of all of them he would be the one he'd be my yeah. man really Dalton I'd go for Dalton as well so who do you eat first? Well, La- Lazenby yeah. I think he'd be quite sweet I'd have him for pudding and Dalton could supply the brains faggots <laughs> oh because he did the voice though yes. didn't he? Yeah. but also yes. Sean Connery has a lot of meat on him I think you get quite a lot of T-bones out of Sean so I'd eat him too Wonderful. Well, Theatre of Blood has been discussed. So thank you so much, Paul Putnam. Thank you. And thank you, Ali Catcher. Thank you. And goodbye. You. It's you. But you're dead. No. No, another critical miscalculation on your part, dear boy. I am well. It is you who are dead. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.